So I want to start with a story. Um, it was college t-shirt day at an elementary school, all right, down in the southeast where the SEC reigns. Yeah. And they, they were having this college t-shirt day, and this kid, he, um, he didn't have a t-shirt for his favorite team, uh, the University of Tennessee Volunteers, right? Or as we from Texas like to call it, fake UT. And so, and so he, so, so he didn't have a shirt to wear. So his mom, they were talking about it. He, she said, why don't you make your own t-shirt? So he, so he makes his own t-shirt. He draws it on a piece of paper and then he attaches it to his shirt. All right. And he wears it to school. His mom said, listen, you, you, this looks great. It's beautiful. You should be proud of it. You should wear it to school. He wears it to school. But he gets to school, and at the lunch table, a bunch of mean girls make fun of him. They start making fun of his shirt. He, he, he gets, gets so bad, he breaks down and cries. And he leaves the lunch table. It becomes a thing, and he just feels so embarrassed. And his teacher realized what was happening, and uh, his teacher called his mom and told her the story. And then Mama Bear came out. And she was like, she, she just like so angry about her son being embarrassed and bullied at school. And so she was, she just didn't know what to do exactly. So she calls the University of Tennessee. She writes them actually is what happened. She writes them and she, and she says, she tells them the whole story about what happened at school. Would there be any way that you can just send us a University of Tennessee t-shirt so my son doesn't have to get embarrassed again. And so they end up writing her back. And they say to her, yes, we're going to send you a t-shirt. And we were so moved by your story. What we'd like to do is we'd like to make a new t-shirt based on your son's design. And we're going to design it. Not only that, but we want to invite you to a Tennessee football game, volunteers football game. We want you to be our honored guest. And by the way, everybody in the student section will be wearing your t-shirt on that day. It, is, it was an incredible, incredible redemption story, but it didn't end there. They, the university actually said to her, you know, we're looking for this kind of creativity and leadership. Uh, we'd like to offer your son a full-ride scholarship to the University of Tennessee. That is a true story. It happened. Some of you remember this story. It, it kind of made the rounds. Here's what is so amazing about this story. Number one, watch out for mama bears. They will make stuff happen. But, but also, the power of this story, like how a simple moment of hurt and woundedness can turn into something bigger and greater and more blessed than that kid or his mama would ever know. It has the sound of the gospel, doesn't it? It has the sound of good news. 
And I think that's why we've been talking about resurrection stories for the past several weeks. We're trying, to, we're trying to figure out how can we tell the stories of our lives in a way that helps people see the gospel in us. We can see the gospel in that story. And so today we're gonna talk a little bit more about stories because stories are so powerful. Mothers need to tell their stories. Children need to tell their stories. I mean, truth be told, moms have the best stories, don't they? My, my kids and I have a favorite story we tell about Amy that I'm not gonna tell you here today. <clears throat> because it's Mother's Day. Because we love this woman and we think she is an amazing person and we are grateful for her in our life. And so, so I just wanna say, babe, I love you. I'm so thankful for you. Thanks for being a great mom. And I, I, think, I think if we think about our culture and we think about this story, I, I, I think we're missing a couple of things pretty badly. We're missing courage like this young man had to to be original, be creative, and not just look and act like everyone else. I think we're probably missing that. It seems dangerous in some ways. But number two, I think so many people are missing hope. Hope that things can get better. Hope that there's a solution. Hope that there's something more at work than just what we see or what we experience. Hope is something that you and I are supposed to emanate. It is something that we are to share in powerful conversations with other people. We need to be ready with hope. As God's people, we have to be ready to share the reason for the hope that lives within us. This is how the apostle Peter wrote it in his letter to who he called the exiles throughout the known world. In 1 Peter 3, 15, he says, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared. How often? Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Here's what Peter is saying. He's saying others can't clearly hear your story unless it's accompanied by gentleness and respect. Do you understand this? There is no way people can hear your story by firing off a really strong, nasty post on Facebook. They don't hear the gospel when you do that. Gentleness and respect. We've gotta have it. They can't hear your story without it. Number two, in this verse he says, keep a clear conscience. In other words, in other words, make sure that you are current in your relationship with Jesus, that you are listening to him and allowing him to clean up your soul as it kinda gets polluted from the world around us. And you're willing and ready to repent. That keeps a clear conscience. And the third thing he names here in this passage is good behavior. That it's your good behavior. Everybody say those two words. <laughs> Just like your kids, good behavior. <laughs> good behavior is the thing that you and I have to give. That even if people are angry or upset, 
even if they don't like what you've said, that it is your good behavior that will, that will create clarity for them of who you are, what you do, and who Jesus is. This is the foundation of how you and I must be prepared to share an answer to those who ask for the hope that lives within us. Now listen, I know as Christians, really maybe as Americans, right, we love to preach, don't we? Like you guys all like to preach. I'm the preacher, but you love preaching. And there's a thing here that I've, I've seen. I, I see it on your social media posts. I, here's the problem. Here's the problem. When we say thou shalt or thou shalt not, we speak to the head. But when we say once upon a time, we speak to the heart. Do you see this? I don't know if you see it in the scriptures or not, but Jesus seemed to always speak to the heart. He wasn't trying to convince people of the theology. He was trying to share a story over and over again that would make people consider what was going on in their own heart. Now, how do you and I do that? I think sometimes, I think sometimes we're trying to give an answer to people who aren't asking questions. <laughs> Like, if they haven't asked the question, what, then what are we doing? We're trying to preach instead of connecting. Do you want to know how Jesus did it so often? Jesus asked questions. Think about this. If you, you, you don't realize it, but if you, as you study the Gospels, you will see the Gospel accounts that Jesus just asked questions over and over and over again. In fact, <clears throat> Jesus asked somewhere around 307 questions in the Gospels in the gospel accounts, if you count them all up. However, do you know how many questions he was asked? He was asked 183 questions. People asked him. Somewhere around there. It depends on how you read the, the gospels and how you flesh it out, but here's the amazing thing. Guess how many questions Jesus answered directly without telling another story or without asking another question? The answer is three. Think about that. If you will read the gospel accounts, you'll see how Jesus just kept asking questions and telling stories. You and I have to get better at asking questions and telling stories because when you do that, guess what people do? They start to lean in to you and they start to wanna hear your story. They start to ask you questions and then you can give them the answer for the hope that lives within you. Here's a question for you. Are you ready to tell your resurrection stories? You have a whole bunch of them. There's not just one. There's many ways in which God has worked in your life to restore you, to redeem what you thought was lost and broken. He's resurrected things that you thought were dead and long gone. It's you don't, you, listen, you have one salvation story, but you have a whole bunch of resurrection stories. You can tell resurrection stories all day long about things that have happened in your life. And you might not even mention Jesus in that resurrection story at first, but you can tell it and they'll lean in and they'll be curious. How did you make it? How did you handle it? So why don't we tell more stories is the really, really good question. 
Why don't we tell more stories like when God came through for us or like when you almost gave up on your faith but then at the, at the moment you needed it most, a friend called to see how you were doing. Like when you lost your job but somehow God provided through family and friends and other means. Or like when the diagnosis was set and God healed you. Or maybe when you were secretly addicted to prescription drugs and nobody knew, but you confessed it one day to your small group of men that you were meeting with. Or maybe your marriage was as good as dead, but then suddenly God brought it back to life. These are the stories we gotta tell. They're so important to our One Chapel community. They're important for you. They're important for us together. They bond us together. They inspire us. They mobilize us to tell more stories. What we need is more, not less. You're here today. You're here sitting in this seat right here in this room because God did something in you. You have a story that got you here. You have many stories that got you to this moment. I want you to just take a moment, look at the faces around you. Look, look at the people around you. Just look, yeah. See, now you're smiling, right. As soon as you have to look at your neighbor, the smiles come out, right, yeah. Why don't you send a few up here? Be nice, it's Mother's Day, you know. Smile, be nice. These people all sitting around you have resurrection stories. And you need to hear them. We need to hear them. But you don't know most of them. You don't know most of the stories sitting in the room next to you. That's why we need to tell them in our small groups. We tell each other our stories and we build each other up. We encourage one another. And now here's what happens. We get really good at telling our stories Maybe in our small group or in our teams or, or, or just in friendships, we get used to telling stories. When, and what happens is it starts to tumble out of you. It starts to go beyond your small group. It starts to go beyond just your church circle and it starts to include your work or your school or your, or your friendships beyond this community. When we, still, when we tell our stories, it accomplishes so much. Think about it. When you, when you heard that, that story about that mom who wrote that letter for her son, didn't it bring out compassion in you? Didn't you sense uh, 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 encouragement out of that story? Didn't you, didn't you have gratitude and love that kind of stirred up in your heart? When we tell our stories, faith comes alive, action comes alive. And we hear, we, we, these, these are all the results of hearing each other's stories. Second Peter 1.16 says, for we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were, look at that line, I love it, eyewitnesses of his majesty. You guys, we are eyewitnesses of his majesty. Don't degrade it. Don't belittle it. Don't hide it. Don't push it down. Eyewitnesses of his majesty. Peter had so many stories we could t he could tell. In fact, we told some of them last Sunday when we were together. And here's the thing, so do you. <laughs> so do you. These are firsthand stories. Eyewitnesses of what Jesus has done. I'm watching it happen in my brotherhood group. I have two groups. I have a men's group on Tuesday afternoon at 4.30 right here at the church, and I have one uh, further west um, near where I live, and, and we, we meet at 6.30 in the morning on Friday morning, and what, what we're doing is we're reading the stories of Jesus, 
And you remember, some of you remember, I asked you guys to do this, for us to be involved in message groups where we'd simplify our, our gathering process. We would simplify what it means to belong to a small group. Because I don't want anybody to get tired of meeting with their small group. Like, that's the worst thing that can happen. Like, oh man, like, I've been meeting for a long time, I need a break. <laughs> oh, well, if you, if you need a break, it means you don't quite understand what the goal is. The goal is living life with people. The goal is connecting in a way that is meaningful. Now, no guilt, no pressure, no condemnation. You need a break, take a break. But a break from what? (laughs) Moms have the answer. A break from cleaning the house. (laughs) I totally get it. But you can figure out other ways. Meet at somebody else's house. Meet, meet somewhere else. Do, meet up uh, over the summer with, by going out and just having a time together where you're telling some stories. But listen, listen, I, I, I got off track here. I want to encourage you that the goal of meeting in a small group is that we're actually creating the community that we all so crave. And it is work. It is a challenge. But I'm watching it in my brotherhood groups and I'm watching a simplicity that emerges of sitting down. We start by just encouraging one another as we pray together and then we read the story of Jesus. And then we ask a few brief questions. What did you notice first? What happened in this story? How did you see it? One of the questions we ask is, how do you see yourself in this story? And you would be shocked at how it's the, the, the things that are emerging out of these men's lives, the honesty, the vulnerability, the willingness to share something that they weren't sure they should share, but they did, and it created a connection that was so strong they don't ever want to miss Friday morning. I just want to encourage you that this is what we're all after. This is what we're also after. Jesus was the master storyteller, wasn't he? The master storyteller. In Matthew 14, he's, he's walking by the Sea of Galilee and he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew's brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen, the, the scripture says. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you, and a bunch of you already know the answer. But if you didn't know the answer, you could think of all kinds of things. Like if you'd never heard that, that verse before and you're here this morning, you might think, and I will make you holy or I'll make you more disciplined or I'll make you uh, read your Bible more or I'll make you a better husband or a better speaker. Those are the things that his followers n- need to do, right? No, you'd be wrong. The answer is actually a little bit surprising. He said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Now I used to go fishing with my grandparents and I'm here to tell you there is a difference between fishing and catching fish. (laughs) I did not enjoy fishing with my grandparents because we never caught anything. And as a Christian, you might be here this morning, you may feel like you haven't caught any fish in a long time. And when you don't catch any fish in a long time, you... Stop wanting to go fishing. And I understand that. I want to help you figure out a way to tell more of your story. That's what we're doing here. You might think I'm not, I'm, you might, the temptation might be just to say, I'm not good at this, so I don't do it. That's a lie. God is in your story and he's dying to come out. 
And so today, uh, because we're telling stories, um, we've been saying it a lot, we wanna grow in our storytelling, I'm gonna invite Rob Stennett, Pastor Rob Stennett, who has uh, been in our church probably uh, eight years now, is that right? And, uh, and Rob is a, really a master storyteller, and he is the, the, uh, a filmmaker, a screenplay writer, he's published many books, and uh, I just, he's, he's a great storyteller. So everybody welcome Pastor Rob Stennett. Thank you, thank you. What an intro. Um, so what I wanted to do is, I've been hearing these messages. Don't you love Pastor Ross, by the way, and his messages and his heart for us? Um, I've been stirred in them and I've been like, people wanna tell their stories. But the problem is, I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but someone says, I've got a great story for you. And then they start telling it and they're like, it was Tuesday. Actually, it was last Thursday because that's the day Ethel gets her medicine. And so, and they start going in the story and you're like, I'm lost already. Has anyone ever had that happen? Raise your hand if you have. I have grandkids. It happens to me every time they come over. <laughs> yeah, and so we want to tell these stories, but we don't know how to tell them clearly. And so all I want to do today is I'm going to tell a quick story that happened in my life. And then I'm going to use the framework that you can apply to your story. Everyone say any. You can apply to any story that is a true resurrection story that'll make it powerful. So can I tell a quick story real quick? Yeah. All right. Okay, so this happened. I was taking my family to Disneyland. We had been saving up. We were like, my kids were little. It was actually right before I came to One Chapel. My kids were little. My wife was pregnant. We had been saving up. Because I don't know if you guys know, but Disneyland is actually incredibly expensive. And so it took like all the money. We saved up. We had this van with like 170,000 miles on it. And I was like, we're going to go anyway. What's the worst that could happen? And so we started driving from Colorado <laughs> all the way to Utah. Has anyone ever been to Utah before? Like, uh, we were at that part of Utah where like, if aliens landed, this is where they would land. It was like the <laughs> abandoned part of Utah. And so we're out there and I'm just driving along. My wife looks beautiful. Happy Mother's Day, by the way, babe. Happy Mother's Day. Uh, uh, thanks, job. Pato. Uh, and so my wife looks beautiful. We're there and I'm just like, life is great. This is so awesome. And then I'm staring at my uh, speedometer and then all of a sudden it goes like that. And then it comes back up and I was like, that was weird. And then one more time it goes down and back up. And then the next thing I knew, like all the lights in the dash started flickering, like, rrr, 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 and then the car goes, go, 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 and just stops right there on the side of the road. There is not a gas station for 30, 40 miles in either direction. It is hot, 100 degree day in Utah, middle of Utah. And I was like, oh no, what's gonna happen? And so we go, I'm like looking for cell service. You know when you're looking for cell service and you put your phone up, like, <laughs> I don't know if it works, but you're like, this is a hack for it. And you put your phone up, that's what I'm doing. I go, I finally get the tow company. They're like, okay, it's gonna take like an hour to get there. The tow guy goes and he gets there and he looks at me and he just looks like, picture a tow guy in Utah, tow truck guy. He looks like that only a little worse. And uh, <laughs> he looks like that and he's like, well, there's five of us. And he's like, well, I can't take all five of you in the tow truck. I gotta drive back. And I was like, well, what should we do? And he's like, I'll take your wife and daughters and then I'll leave you alone with the car. <laughs> And so I go and I'm like, uh, okay. <laughs> and so I was like, I was like, I can't do that. But then I was like, I was like, no, that's not gonna happen. Then he's like, oh, so you wanna leave your wife and daughters on the side of the road alone? And I was like, no, I don't wanna do that. And he's like, well, what do I do? And I was like, well, I guess you take them. 
And I'll never forget this moment when Sarah and all the kids <laughs> get in the car and she's there and she's like eight months pregnant, baby bump there, and she looks back at me like, you sure that's a good idea, that sort of look? <laughs> and then she gets in the car and she drives off. And then all of a sudden, I'm there, she drives off, and I, I'm like, oh, oh no. And so I just have that, have you ever had that pit feeling in the bottom of your stomach, like, oh, what's gonna happen? I have that feeling, and so I was like, okay, I need to call her, make sure she's okay. I go to call her and my phone dies. And so I was there, and I'm just sitting there. It was me and Juliana, and we're just sitting there for a good, like, 20 minutes. And 20 minutes later, a cop car comes up, sees my hood popped up, popped up and he's like, hey, you all right? And I was like, I was like yeah, well, uh, he's like, well, you want me to call a tow truck? And he's, I was like, well, a tow truck already came. He's like, we already came. Why didn't he tow your car? He's like, well, he took my wife and daughter. He's like, he took your wife and daughters? <laughs> and I was like, yeah. And I was like, is that a problem? And he's like, shouldn't be. And then, <laughs> and then he gets in the car and he drives off. Utah police, I don't know. And so he drives off and then I'm just there all by myself. Finally, an hour later, this guy comes back. I get in the car with him. He's Go ahead and you can be kind of driving, Ross. Like you're yes, the driver. Right. So he's the driver kind of like that. And I look at him and I was like, yeah, that's good. <laughs> and so I look at him and I'm like, uh, is everything okay with my wife and daughter? He's like, yeah. And I was like, well, where are you taking us? Here's the name of the company. He's like, you know what? I'm actually gonna take you to Bernie's. Uh, Bernie's will do it for you, you know, he's great and that sort of stuff. And so I was like, oh, that's what they do. The idiot husband guy, they go and they fleece him for all his money. He's gonna take me to his buddy's house instead of taking me to the real company. So I go there, I'm just so mad at this guy. I get into, the, I get into there and then he goes, I see my wife and daughters, they're at Bernie's house and we're just hugging that sort of stuff. It's this little garage, like in the, this small little Utah town and I'm just so mad at this guy. And I'm there and I'm just like thinking, I'm sitting in that lobby and I'm thinking, well, we lost our trip to Disney. Like this is it, it's not gonna happen. It's gonna cost thousands of dollars to fix this car. So I go up, he's like, a couple hours later, he's like, it's all fixed. And I was like, okay, how much is it gonna be? He's like, you know what? You looked like you were having a bad day. I'm just gonna charge you 35 bucks for this little part I got and I'm gonna fix it totally free on everything else on the house. And I was floored. And what I realized was I was like, you know what? I just lived the Good Samaritan story. A story that I grew up hearing about in Sunday school. A story that I heard about all my life. I lived it, but I still had that same judgment for a man that I didn't know. I still judged him and had this thing and I came to all these conclusions about him when he was trying to love me and bringing me truth and mm. hope. Mm. And it changed my perspective. And that happened right before I came to one chapel and it changed how I looked at people. God told me, be careful of how you look at people. You don't, don't jump to conclusions. You don't know who they are. You don't know what's going on in their story. And so that's what happened to me. So I wanna break down with you how I told that story. Mm. Okay, ready? We're gonna mm -hmm. go to school. Mm -hmm. All right, so the, what I do to tell a story like that is I use sit. Everyone say sit. Sit. So sit, it's a simple framework and it's three simple questions you can do to craft your own story. The first thing is stakes. Your story has to have stakes. And stakes are this, what happens if things don't change? What happens? The marriage that's like suffering that may fall apart the sickness that's happening. Ross, what was at stake in my story if I asked you? Your, your, what was at stake is a great family vacation to Disneyland. Okay, yeah, a great family vacation to Disneyland. And then what was at stake? Your wife and kids disappearing. <laughs> yeah, my wife and kids. Like the, wor the worst nightmare, right? And so I ratcheted up the stakes in those stories. Now that's what I felt in that moment. I'm not embellishing that. That's what I felt in it. But yeah. as a storyteller, I have to get you to feel what I was feeling in that yeah, moment. that's right. Okay, and so when you're telling your story, you have to tell those sort of stakes because here's the problem. Here's the whole reason I want to do this. When I hear most people telling their stories, we just want to get to the happily ever after. 
We're Christians, so we want Easter Sunday, but we don't want Good Friday. But your stories will not have power if you are not courageous Mm -hmm. and vulnerable enough to tell the real heavy moments. And you have to be careful about that. You have to be careful who you share with it. Use wisdom. But there are some people who need to know those things. And so you have to tell the real stakes. The next, the I, is intervention. 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 So intervention is how did God help you? Like where is God in this story? And so for me, the intervention was just, it was a simple moment, the moment that he did and gave me an act of kindness. And it was for me, that was the moment where it was like, he didn't say, this wasn't necessarily, hey, because I'm a Christian, I'm doing this. But God said, this is the Christian thing to do. And so it was a simple resurrection story for me because that intervention broke in. And then final. Well, and can I say something just about that? The intervention part of the story is so important. I want you to notice he spent most of the time on what was happening in the intervention. Because he came to the wrong conclusions about the intervention. Right. So he didn't, he didn't tell the next part, the next, so if you got stakes, then you got intervention. He spent the whole time really telling us about how God was intervening in his life. We just didn't know it yet, right? So there's something called tension. Everybody say tension. Tension is the, the beauty to a story. All great stories have tension. And you and I have to learn how to tell our stories with tension because what happened at the end of the story? The resolution of that tension was so dramatic, it was so profound, I had this sense of surprise. That's the key to a great book, it's key to a great movie, it's the key to a great screenplay, it's key to, to you telling your gospel story. Well, for me, the other thing is so many times we think, I know what some of you may be thinking. I don't really have a good story. I don't have a good story like that. That's the lie that's told us. I'm telling you, I believe it, that you have a great story. You just have to sit deeply and Mm -hmm. reflect about it and think about it because the most important part is the T, which is transformation. Everyone say transformation. Mm -hmm. Transformation. Transformation is the idea that we hold to as Christ followers, which is my life changed for the better. Actually, I never wanted my car to break down. I never wanted to go through that ordeal. But if we would have just taken a trip, I would have never thought about that road trip again. But because of that transformation, God changed my life. Yeah. There was that, that's what resurrection stories are, is they are from death to life. And sometimes they're very, very dramatic. And sometimes it's as simple as a car breaking down and just asking that question, okay, God, what are you teaching me through this story? I think that's, that's really, I look at the story of the prodigal son and it does the same thing. Yeah, yeah all, all great stories do this thing. I just wanna encourage, like one of the things that Rob's talking about here is the transformation had multiple levels. Not only did this guy transform in the story, right? He was painted as a terrible guy that's gonna take advantage of Rob and might even hurt his family, right? So not only did, was there a transformation of, oh, this is truly the Samaritan, the Samaritan story, the good Samaritan. We think bad things about this guy and he wasn't bad at all, but that's not the end of the transformation. The other part of the transformation was Rob's heart. That's right. The transformation was also a great vacation at Disneyland, but that was just the thing that created what is the most beautiful transformation. Last thing I wanna say about this and then um, maybe we can come to worship band if you guys come up um, and you can share anything you want to say at, here Rob at the end but the thing that I noticed as Rob was telling that story is he was uh, 
struggling in his own, on his own, in his own way to see if God was involved. Most of your stories are gonna have this element that it appeared that God wasn't doing anything for you. He was working, but you didn't see it. He was on the move, but you couldn't believe it. This is what the resurrection story of Jesus is. He died on a cross, and it seemed to all of his disciples like their dreams were dead. Not only was their friend dead, but their dreams were dead. God was changing their dreams, by the way. Changing what they really wanted by this, by this amazing story. Jesus was in the grave for three days, much too long for any of them. I think one other thing that I want to say to you is I went out to uh, lunch with Chad Zepernick at Kirby Lane and was talking to him about this series and he looked at me and he said something really interesting. He's like, you know what? People are starving for each other's stories. Mm. He, said, we, he said, we think about stories and we think about telling them to our neighbor. We think about telling them to our friends. Like, like we think of them as evangelism. But he's like, where it has to start, and Ross just said this, but where it has to start is all of us telling each other's stories mm-hmm. and telling what God's doing in our life. Many of us feel discouraged. We feel frustrated, we feel what's going on, but by sharing our own story, we see God breaking through. Mm -hmm. And when we hear those, it does something in us. I told a story last Christmas about my laptop breaking through and and getting lost and that sort of stuff. And after that story, I got to talk with Becky Miller and I got to hear about her story. I got to talk with Ross Burley. I got to hear about his story. I shared my story and other people began sharing theirs. Not just storytelling for storytelling's sake, but what they are is stories that point to God and what God is doing. And I would love if we were a church that was known for that. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. And remember that it's more of a process than a presentation. Like what we gave you is kind of a, an, an acronym to be able to tell it, and that sa- kind of sounds like it's a presentation, but it's a process. It, doesn't, it, 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 it is about listening and collaborating with God more than just memorizing your story. There's a, there's a verse in the, in the letter to the Corinthians that Paul writes, and he's talking about how they heard about the gospel, right? And I just wanna encourage you as this last thing. Paul says, I planted the seed, but Apollos, another guy who was a great guy that they'd have met, he came and watered it after Paul planted the seed. But God has been making it grow. I love this. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants, the one who waters have one purpose. Everybody say one purpose. And they will each be revealed according to their own labor. For we are co-workers, collaborators in God's service. Listen, this means you don't have to close every, close the deal of salvation with every story. Sometimes you're just planting. Sometimes you're just watering. But here's the thing you gotta remember. You plant, we water, we commit to this kind of long-term process by telling our stories. God's the one who makes it grow. You can't force somebody to suddenly surrender to Jesus. All you can do is tell your story. But you can trust that God is working behind the scenes because he's the only one who can change their heart. You can't. The pressure's off. The pressure's off. Tell your story. Let God use it. Tell your story. Let somebody else come along and water it. 
this is who we are. This is what we have to be. And please remember, please remember that the power of your storytelling is not your ability, but your vulnerability. It's not just your ability to tell your story. You'll grow and get better at that. But your obedience to God in telling your story means there's something that happens. He can, he can get involved in the vulnerability that you share about something really hard and really difficult. You may not even tell the story that great, but the vulnerability will speak loud and clear to them. Does that make sense? All right. So let's just pray here together. I want you to just prepare to maybe listen to God during our worship time. I'm not gonna have you stand, I'm gonna have you sit for, for the first song. And I just want you to maybe get your phone out or get a, maybe you have a journal with you. Maybe you need to, like God wants to download to you a story or something he's done in your life that you need to be ready and willing to share. What does God want to say to you today? How does he want you to, to, to apply what we've learned? Maybe he'll, you'll end up writing down a person that you need to tell your story to, it's just coming to your mind. Maybe that person's in the room today. So I just want you to close your eyes and I want you to get ready to write some stuff down. Just take a moment to reflect. Father, we just reflect on our lives. We reflect on our history. We reflect on what got us here to this seat today. And we ask you to help us see it. Help us understand what you're saying and what you're doing. Help us craft our stories in a, in a greater measure. Help us to have more courage and willingness to be ready, to be prepared, not to just be insecure about our story, but to actually work on it. And Lord, give us the, the wisdom and the way to be vulnerable with people, to step in to that connection with another person in a way that's way beyond trying to give a presentation, way beyond trying to give the gospel message theologically, but Lord, in a way that bonds us and helps us to share you with that person. We thank you for this, and we invite you here to speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen.